Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Friday, September the 10th, 2021, and we will be rebroadcasting this show on Monday, September the 13th, 2021, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us at koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 73rd post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos. Tonight's show, we seek to bring light into the darkness, Of the ignorance created around the truths of the character and the deeds of Julian Assange. We have as our guest someone who has great insights into the means and methods of how truths can be hidden from public view. 27-year CIA veteran Ray McGovern. Enjoy. Okay, welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. I am your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is Friday, September 10th, and we will be introducing our very special guest momentarily. This show will be aired following 9-11 on Monday, September the 13th, 2021 at 6 p.m., And I wanted to start the show off, we've been doing some shows on a number of things related to Afghanistan, but also the misrepresentation of what was going on in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. There was an article that we cited in some depth that had to do with the Afghan papers, and that was by Craig Whitlock back in 2019. It was December the 9th, 2019, in his speech for the Washington Post, Afghan Papers, A Secret History of the War. And I don't want to go back into all of the specifics of it, but I did want to reiterate that this was a project in which the documents, according to the author, quote, were generated by a federal project examining the root failures of the longest armed conflict in U.S. history. They include some 2,000 pages or more of previously unpublished notes of interviews with people who played a direct role in the war, from generals to diplomats to aid workers to Afghan officials. In all, it was more than 400 insiders. And the findings by the article and the investigation was that the United States had tried to shield the identities and conceal nearly all of their remarks. It took a three-year legal battle by the Washington Post that they won the release of these documents under the Freedom of Information Act. The deceitful misrepresentations were by these U.S. officials constantly saying that we were making progress in Afghanistan. And they were not, says Craig Whitlock. And they knew it, says Craig Whitlock. This is according to this exclusive Washington Post investigation. Quote, making rosy pronouncements they knew to be false, end quote. 
hiding unmistakable evidence the war had become unwinnable, end quote. Douglas Lute, or Lute, L-U-T-E, he's a three-star general who served as the White House Afghan war czar during the Bush and Obama administrations, told government interviewers in 2015, we were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We did not know what we were doing, end quote. He added, we didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were undertaking. And this guy, Doug Lute, again, he's a former U.S. ambassador to NATO and, and, and the U.S. Army Lieutenant General. And it speaks to the issue of whether we won or lost in Afghanistan, it seemed like. It was not as important as just keeping the war going. And we were talking the other weeks about how much financial windfalls war brings to a very small elite. War profiteers. And then in addition to that, and related to the same subject, there was an article, A Near Press Blackout in Afghanistan by Megan Stack, recently, just last month, on August 4th of, of 2021. And she cites Steve Warren, who was a longtime Pentagon spokesman, and he said, one of the guiding principles is to keep the American people on our side at all costs, end quote, Warren told me, controlling the imagery, controlling the message, controlling the sentiment is always geared towards that singular goal. Don't let the American people think we failed. Don't let them think that no matter what. These are just bold admissions that we have been lied to throughout the whole process of Afghanistan. But when you piggyback that on the Pentagon Papers that was released in 1971, and of course that was the name given to a top secret Department of Defense study of U.S. political and military involvement in Vietnam from 1945 through 1967, It revealed that several, I think four successive presidents had essentially lied to the American public about our involvement and what was actually transpiring in Vietnam. And of course, it's not just Afghanistan and Vietnam. It's the lies that took us to the war in Iraq. It's the lies that took us to the war in Libya and so many other places that have been misrepresented by our government and enabled by our press. So I start the show with these deceitful examples of how the U.S. public is disdained and and are manipulated in order to support these types of unjust wars. And the topic tonight is on another whistleblower, publisher, Julian Assange. And we have with us tonight Ray McGovern, who has not just met with Julian Assange, but has worked tirelessly to try to bring many of the things we'll be talking about tonight to the public for the public to see and, and feel. So first off, Ray McGovern, thank you so much for joining us. You're most welcome. Well, let me properly introduce you. We're really blessed to have Ray McGovern on. I, I actually met Ray when this program got started back in 2002 or 2001. Actually, I came across much of the work that uh, was consistent with what I was discovering myself, but had much more credibility, namely the Veterans Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. And Ray McGovern is a former CIA analyst of some 27 years. More impressively to me is that he leads the Speaking Truth to Power section of Tell the World. It's a publishing arm of the Ecumenical Church of the Savior in the inner city Washington, He's a former co-director of the Servant Leadership School from 1998 to 2004, and he's been teaching there for more than 20 years. And his current course is specifically on the subject we want to broach tonight, which is on the morality of whistleblowing. 
Ray McGovern came to Washington from Bronx, New York in the early 1960s as an Army Infantry Intelligence Officer and then served as a CIA analyst for 27 years, as we mentioned, from the administration of JFK to that of George H.W. Bush. Ray's duties included chairing the National Intelligence Estimates and preparing the president's daily brief, which he briefed one-on-one with President Ronald Reagan or or with his five of his most senior national security advisors from 1981 to 1985. So with that type of background, really seeing behind the curtain somewhat, Ray has continued to work and has a really brilliant website, raymcgovern.com, in which a lot of insightful pieces are written, and then also other people that are attached to his work also have some articles there as well. So, Ray, I cannot tell you how blessed it is to have you back on Bringing Light into Darkness, so thank you so much for making the time for us. Well, you're most welcome, Pedro. Glad to be with you. Well, let, let me just start off. I had reached out to you because I had a social event, but I was talking to some friends, people I really respect, one in particular, and uh, very well educated. And we turned to the subject somehow on Julian Assange, and immediately these accusations came up about the allegations of sexual misconduct to two women in the past that had been highly publicized And I actually was very suspicious of it because of the the power that we'll get into of of what kind of work that Julian Assange has been part of. But I was not fluent on the subject, and I, I admitted it. And so I called my friend, Ray McGovern. And Ray, I'd like to start the show off with this guy, Niels Melzer. You sent me a Zoom Niels Melzer interview on January 17th of this year that speaks to those issues, because it is really important to me that not only are we killing Julian Assange by his incarceration, his isolation, and the horrific conditions that he's been under, but we're also slandering and allowing slander to find its way into the mentality of many good Americans. So before I start this audio clip by the UN Special Rapporteur, it's like just under five minutes. Can you properly introduce what we're about to hear? Sure. Nils Melzer is a Swiss lawyer who teaches at the University of Glasgow, but more importantly for these purposes, he is the UN rapporteur for torture. In other words, it's his duty to investigate any allegations of torture that bear some sort of credibility. Now, just as a way into this, mm-hmm. let me indicate the difficulties that he has encountered in trying to see whether Julian Assange, for example, has been treated fairly or has, as many of us believe, been tortured. Niels Meltzer took a psychiatrist and another specialist into Belmarsh Prison two years ago. They did a diagnosis, actually two and a half, maybe three years ago. They did a diagnosis and found Julian to be a victim of psychological torture, pure and simple. All the earmarks were there. Now, it took Niels Meltzer a little while to pick up this case. And he explained that in an op-ed that he wrote. Actually, it was published by uh, the medium. He couldn't get it published in any major media, even though, number one, he is the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, and even though... He wrote on the occasion of the International Day in support of torture victims 
That was 26 June 2019. Okay, now this is how he starts out, because this sets the stage. He says, I know you may think I'm deluded. How could life in an embassy with a cat and a skateboard ever amount to torture? That's exactly what I thought, too, when Assange first appealed to my office for protection. Like most of the public, I had been subconsciously poisoned by a relentless spear campaign. In the end, says Neil Smeltzer, it finally dawned upon me that I had been blinded by propaganda and that Assange had been systematically slandered to divert attention from the crimes he exposed. Smeltzer finishes up by saying, look, this is about a bigger issue than protecting Julian Assange, however important that is. It's uh, letting a precedent be created, making telling the truth a crime, while the powerful enjoy impunity. Now, if this is allowed to continue, we will have surrendered our voice to censorship and our fate to unrestrained tyranny. Last thing here is he couldn't get this published. As he says right in the beginning, he sent it to The Guardian, The Times, The Financial Times, The Sydney Morning Herald, The Australian, The Canberra Times, The Telegraph, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and Reuters, and Newsweek. All of them turned them down. So that's the kind of public campaign that continues to exist and why your friend, Pedro, just as most of my friends, the first thing they think of is, oh, he's a rapist. And all I have to say to add to that is that you know, I know this game. I know how how this charge is a particularly pernicious one and a prevailing one. It's, it's one of the, the main quivers in the toolkit of the uh, intelligence services mm-hmm. who would like to put somebody out of commission or at least defame him in such a way as he'll never be believed again. Very good. So if the sexual allegations, if they were true, they would deserve full prosecution. But if, but what if they're part of that personal persecution that you suggest that sway public opinion, not by the facts, but by, by slander to despise Assange? You know, what if they're an intentional discrediting by known lies and misrepresentations? I mean, even if the sexual allegations were true, we should still not ignore the WikiLeaks revelations of these horrific war crimes and lying to the U.S. public that is ultimately connected to those crimes. But we're here today to pursue, as one of our primary goals, to investigate the veracity of these sex crime allegations of Assange and to show if they are like so many other commonly held perceptions much of the U.S. public has grown to adopt as truths, but in fact, they are based solely on innuendo and allegations absence of any evidentiary proof. We pursue this inquiry not just to reveal the slanderous attack on the character of Julian Assange, but as you mentioned, Ray, to reveal a common tool in the toolbox of those interested in hiding the truth from the American people in order to promote unjust foreign policy, wars, and interventions. In the art of how we are propagandized by our own U.S. government, if the message cannot be factually disputed, such as the Assange WikiLeaks documents, then attacking the credibility of the messenger is the next best option if deceit rather than pursuit of the truth is your underlying driving motivation. I'm really interested in sharing this audio by this distinguished uh, special rapporteur, Niels Melzer, that you mentioned. Can you reconfirm the date? Do, do you know the exact date that this was actually done? It was done this year. Is that correct? 
Oh, yes. I've been on with Meltzer a couple of times on Zoom. I think this was January 17th, the, 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 the date that you mentioned earlier on. It's a five-minute discreet little excerpt from a longer address that he gave. And just to prepare your listeners, he speaks fluent Swedish. So this that, is a guy that, who decided mm-hmm. to go to Sweden where these allegations began. And in a word, he'll speak for himself, of course, in a word, he found out that Neither of these two women accused Julian Assange of anything remotely like rape or even harassment of any kind. So it's a very clear case. I mean, you're quite right, Pedro. These are very, very serious charges. If true, what Niels Melsa found out, and we'll let him speak for himself now, is that they were fabricated for the express purpose of defaming Julian Assange. And and let me just add, before we turn to it, that this is a academic, Niels Melzer, who is an authority in the field of international law. And so in addition to being the UN General Rapporteur on Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading Treatment or Punishment, I think is the full title, he is a legal expert. And I think what you specifically indicated is he's fluent in the very language of where the whole thing is taking place, namely in Sweden, which gives him even further validity from the, the cultural side of issues as well. So let's go ahead and play that, and I'll start it right now. Now, I will go into two points more specifically, uh, because they have been uh, very prominent in destroying the reputation of Julian Assange. And the first thing I started out with really was the rape allegations in Sweden. Why was that so important? It is because, well, first of all, obviously, rape is a grave crime, and so we need to you know, take it seriously and look at at those allegations. The second thing is, this was the turning point. This happened in, these allegations were made in August uh, 2010, just about three weeks after the big uh, Afghanistan war diary was was published by WikiLeaks. So the the biggest military leak in, in, in US history. And this was the turning point at which a success story where Assange became more and more famous and celebrated for informing the world about the dirty secrets of states, it turned and it became a, a story of persecution. From, from that point on, it's basically downhill for Julian Assange. And so I really wanted to go back to that story and look into this. And I was able to do that with perhaps better than others because part of my family is Swedish. So I actually speak the language and I was able to read a lot of uh, original police documents and, and proceedings that are not accessible in English language. And what I found was quite shocking. I, I found that Julian Assange had been in Sweden for a conference and he had had sexual uh, uh, contact with two women. Uh, and uh, this is not contested on both sides, but it was consensual. And uh, so that, that did happen. In both cases, the women ended up having uh, unprotected sex with, uh, uh, with Julian, and, and apparently, and the circumstances on how that happened are contested. But they did go to the police, both of them, these women who knew each other, they went to the police, not because they wanted to report a crime, but because they were worried to have contracted HIV. And they wanted him to take an HIV test. And and he had just said, well, I've taken one, so it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. I don't have time. And they took it much more seriously, obviously, and wanted to push him and went to the police to ask whether they could force him to take an HIV test. 
And now that is very clearly documented in text messages that are available that these women wrote to each other at the time and to friends uh, by emails. That is the only reason they went to the police. And we can also see that the police immediately turned it around and said, well, this is really about rape. And the women didn't agree with that, but were informed that this was not up to them, that the state had an obligation to prosecute rape and that they were going to make a rape allegation out of this rape investigation. And from that point on, you can see text messages between those women where they're extremely stressed and say, well, we didn't want this. We didn't intend to do this. Uh, The police started it all. We didn't want to be part of this, but now we have no choice. And so there is really what we can see is that this doesn't fit with the story that was spread by the authorities of um, women going to the police and complaining about rape. It looks much more like the police taking a case that had nothing to do with rape initially, but with uh, unprotected intercourse and uh, potential HIV infection, and turn it around and use it to their advantage, uh, which was to portray Assange as a uh, suspected rapist. Now, why would they do that? Sweden is a close ally of the U.S. in Afghanistan, as is Britain, as are other countries. Um, They all have been exposed by WikiLeaks. We should not make any mistake about this. Established governments don't like WikiLeaks because it threatens their way of operating where they can basically do their business in secret and very often, unfortunately, behind the backs of parliaments and even the public of their own countries. And when we see the types of things that, that WikiLeaks published, it really embarrassed all these governments and not only embarrassed, them, but even brought evidence for war crimes and, and very serious cases of corruption and, and human rights violations. So that was Nils Melzer in January of 2021. A couple of quick comments. I think it's, it's worth mentioning that the number of documents that have been released by WikiLeaks is extraordinary. And they've gone out into the public domain. To my knowledge, there has not been a single instance to show that one has been altered in content. Instead, they are all pristine, unaltered, incontrovertible evidence pointing towards what really goes on in U.S. foreign policy thinking with respect to like foreign cables and those types of things as well, indicating their real intent, which time and time again is the deception of the truth to the American public. So let me just ask you, first off, when we talk about these articles that have been released are not articles, but documents. There were a number of accusations made against Assange that I want to get to in a second, but I want to go back to this kind of defaming of his character thing first. There were claims when he was in the Ecuadorian consulate there that he was acting out in really inappropriate and non-hygienic ways, just to say it in a polite way. Can you talk a little bit about the other dimensions of this campaign that misrepresented the behavior and these uh, these sexual allegations that we already kind of just addressed? Sure. You know, it's almost laughable, but it is a function of how impressionable people who listen to the various cable channels are. But there were all kinds of rumors about him skateboarding through the embassy and and uh, not flushing the toilet and being mean to his cat, mind you. <laughs> oh, God. Well, uh, suffice it to say that 
that the consul general himself, who was there when Julian, for most of the time Julian was there, said this is all BS, mm-hmm. or the Ecuadorian or Spanish version of BS. Mm-hmm. It's all BS. He was a he was a model tenant. Given the situation he faced, uh, we had no problems with Julian. So there's the horse's mouth right there. Mm-hmm. What did go on in the embassy there was incredible surveillance, not only visual, but audio, and not only of Julian Assange, but of his lawyers, of his friends, of anybody he consulted with. And that's a matter of record. There's a court case now in Madrid, Spain, which is going into that because the uh, Spanish security agency hired by an American intelligence agency, which will go unmentioned here, was caught doing this. So mm-hmm. that's what went, what really went on in the embassy there. And Neil Smeltzer and I appeared on January 17, 2021. In other words, this was early this year. So it, it was fresh, and it was Nils just unburdening himself and letting us know exactly what happened and how it happened and how it was kind of deformed and exaggerated. And it got Julian in a peck of trouble, as you know. Mm-hmm. The other uh, myth that I'd like to uh, dispel is that the release of the Afghan and Iraqi warlocks, that they damaged U.S national security that they made vulnerable our sources and methods and there was just terrible terrible outcry about this right after they were released and matter of fact uh, the defense department kind of bemoaned what had happened at the senate armed services committee carl levin who was the uh, chair he said now mr gates so bobby gates was the uh robert gates secretary. Mm-hmm. yeah Robert Gates, yeah. Mr. Gates, give me a memo on that, would you? Excuse me, Ray. Before we move on, we need to take a quick break for the cause. We'll come back to Robert Gates' memo right after this. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is the premier community radio station of the nation. We will be back with our very special guest, Ray McGovern, right after this. Don't touch that dial. 